This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The opioid epidemic has had devastating consequences for families of all kinds. As of 2020, adults between the ages of 35 and 44 experienced the highest rates of drug overdose deaths compared to any other age group. That's according to data from the Department of Agriculture. And when a parent's When a child's parent dies from a drug overdose or becomes unable to care for their child due to that substance use disorder, who is left to pick up the pieces? Very often, that person is the child's grandparent. I've been raising grandchildren for 30 years. It's a rewarding experience. It's an exhausting experience. You're not only dealing with your grandchildren, you're dealing with their traumas. And I am 68 years old now. I have three teenagers at home. I would love to retire, but I can't until they are grown. I would say my one complaint is there's not enough support out there for grandparents raising grandchildren. There's support groups, but I mean true, true, deep support. This familial arrangement is called a grand family, and it involves a unique set of challenges. These challenges can include dwindling incomes and health issues related to aging. After the break, we discuss what kind of support grand families need to raise successful children. We also explore how the opioid crisis affects grandparent caregivers. I'm Dessa, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us today from Columbus, Ohio, to talk about the experience of raising a grandchild is grandparent Jackie Lewis. She's a mother grandmother, and an advocate for kinship caregivers. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very, uh, very grateful for the opportunity. And to you for being here. Also with us is Jennifer from Cleveland, Ohio. She is a 1A listener who was raised by her grandparents, and we're using only her first name to preserve the privacy of her grandparents. Jackie, as we mentioned at the start of the hour... The opioid epidemic is increasing the number of children being cared for primarily by their grandparents. And I know you lost your son, Sean, to an overdose this most recent October at age 34. I am so, I am so, so sorry. Thank you. Also, I just, just to say, hey, if you ever need a break talking about this stuff, at any point, just say, give me a second. And I'm more than happy to just take a breath. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, after his death, how did you become the primary caregiver of his daughter, your granddaughter? Um, actually, I became uh, the prime, primary caregiver back in uh, 2015. Mm. Um, my son was struggling with substance abuse disorder, and the mother of the child uh, was also uh, struggling as well. They were not married and um, weren't living together. Um, the mother showed up about three months before the baby was due uh, to announce she was going to be having the baby. So we had to go through a lot of uh, court proceedings and um, DNA testing to determine for a fact that my son was the father, and he was. Um, 
the mother of my granddaughter never sought medical support during her pregnancy, and it wasn't until after my granddaughter was born I found out the mother had been doing hard drugs during the entire pregnancy. Um, I'll add that she also had two other children being raised by her mother at the time as well for the same reason. And how this, old? Uh, I was I'm just, sorry. I was just going to ask, how old is your granddaughter to kind of get a sense of your current family arrangement? She's seven. Right She's seven now. now. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I got involved from day one, uh, my son and I both. Um, she was born um, a NAS baby, meaning neonatal abstinence syndrome. She was born into withdrawals, and she was life-flighted down to the children's uh, NICU hospital where she stayed for the first one and a half months of her life. Um, her mother, the day of giving birth immediately ripped out the IVs out of her arms and left the hospital to seek more drugs. Um, The doctors at the time told me that my granddaughter would be an addict the rest of her life as a result of um, everything that happened during the pregnancy. Because the mother was struggling, my son was struggling with the disease at the time, there um, there was no, no other option. Um, Neither one was able to care for the child. I was working full-time, and I was just suddenly faced with a situation, and the reality, I was about to be thrust into the role of taking on a newborn baby just as I was reaching an age of retirement. During this time, I was also caring for my elderly mom, who now is 96 and has dementia and needs round-the-clock caregiving. Well, my grand, I'm, I'm sorry. And so I know that you're a caregiver in multiple roles at the moment. Your granddaughter, as you mentioned, is a seven. Is, is she healthy at the moment? Can I ask that? Yes. Oh. Uh, I, I'm just, I thank the Lord every day for that, you know. And, and in my mind, and probably most grandparents' mind, you don't know what the long-term effects might be or the impact this may have in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to talk to to sort of the, the the natural companion or foil to the role that you're playing. You know, I mentioned at the top that we have with us Jennifer, who has been raised by her grandparents. And Jennifer, can I ask you, um, in, did your grandparents have permanent legal custody or was it a more informal arrangement? Uh, it was, they did not have legal custody of me. It was more informal. Um, I think for the fear of if they did pursue legal custody and they didn't get it, what would happen to me? Mm. Oh, okay. And, and You know, like if I would go to foster care or oh. if for some reason, you know, one of my parents would end up winning custody um, and then I would be in a worse situation. What were the consequences of that informal arrangement? Did that limit your ability to access social services in any way? Absolutely. I think financially it was, you know, difficult for them because they, you know, they couldn't get social services. They couldn't, I couldn't be on their insurance. They couldn't get child support for me, anything like that. Everything they paid out of pocket for, you know, everything for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as just insurance is concerned, because they couldn't, uh, you know, didn't have legal guardianship for me. It was very hard for them to take me to the doctor. So really, unless I went to like an urgent care or a, you know, emergency room, there was no regular 
pediatrician or dental care for me because just because of a lot of the laws around that, they were not able to do that for me since they were not my legal guardians. Mm-hmm. And what I'd, what I'd like to do, if, if you're both comfortable sharing, is ask now that you've both been filling, that you've filled the roles that you have as a grandchild receiving care and as a grandparent giving care for as long as you have. Like Jennifer, for example, how do you think now about like, what would you say to a grandparent who's just being, who's just facing this role for the first time, who's, who's realizing I'm going to have to raise like a young or school-aged child? What counsel would you have for them? Ooh, uh, it's a tough topic. Uh, you're important. You're doing a great job. And... You're just, you're changing this child's life. You're just giving them opportunities in an environment that they would never have. Gosh, wet eyed in the host chair. I'll just uh, re extend a thank you to Jennifer and to Jackie for sharing really, really tough stories. Uh, Jennifer, can I ask you, was there a stigma associated with being raised by a grandparent at school when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was really young, I didn't notice it as much. But as you get older, um, and I was like involved in activities, you know, I wasn't always invited to sleepovers or people's parents didn't let them sleep over my house. Um, I think that I definitely had the only uh, grandparents that were coming to field trips and doing parent teacher conferences and things like that. Uh, it was great. I, I loved it. I loved having them there. But as I got older, I realized that was not normal. Um, and I think not so much between the teachers, but I do think from other parents, I, I started to really notice that they might have not wanted their kids to hang out with me or they didn't really know what was going on in my house, like why I was living with my grandparents instead of my parents. So, and it was definitely something that I was told not to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because, you know, my grandparents were concerned that I've, you know, with everything with custody, since they didn't have legal custody and just self-preservation of me, you know, I think they were aware that the stigma that other people have could affect me. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That was Jennifer from Cleveland, Ohio, a 1A listener raised by her grandparents. And up next, we'll hear from three professionals working to understand the challenges that grand families face and connect them with better resources. Stay with us. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
Today we're discussing grandparents caring for grandchildren and families that have been reshaped by the opioid epidemic. I'd like to pick up where we left off on a conversation with Jackie, a grandmother who is currently the primary care provider for her seven-year-old granddaughter after the recent death of her son, Sean. Jackie, we've spoken to you before on 1A, and during your previous visit, I know you discussed the more than $650 million in funds that your state of Ohio is slated to receive as part of a $17 billion opioid settlement with drug manufacturers and distributors. I know that that money is supposed to start support the ongoing recovery efforts in your state. And since then, you've had a couple of meetings to try to better understand how those funds will be distributed and how grandparents might access them. Can you tell me a little bit about any outcomes from those meetings? Uh, Yes. I've had two what they call private meetings uh, with the interim executive director and the chair of the board for the One Ohio Foundation. I also have met with the Region 1 representative for the uh, board as well. Um, The takeaways from my second meeting was that, um, and and what I initially did was submit a proposal. Uh, This started over six years ago with the Attorney General's office and then on to the Governor's office, and now I'm really focused on the One Ohio Foundation Board since they are the ones overseeing the drug manufacturing lawsuits. So my proposals to them, again, were um, first to start honoring at each of their meetings um, with pictures and a little story about someone who has actually lost their life to um, overdoses. And uh, to make sure, to me, that's important Mm -hmm. that they recognize that's what this is really all about, the lives lost and the families devastated in this. So they have agreed to start doing that, I think, starting in August. Um, The the other um, issues I've brought to their attention, or or I should say proponents of my proposal, is a big one is for kinship families, uh, like we're discussing today, mm-hmm. that there would be um, financial um, restitution giving, given directly to these families. I'm told that that probably won't happen, uh, mm-hmm. and so they referred me on to the Region 1 board. Um, I was... A little disappointed when I heard that, Um, and I pulled a quote from the governor's website here in Ohio that states clearly, and I quote, these companies must pay for the damages caused by opioids in Ohio. That statement was directly from the governor referring to the drug manufacturing lawsuit settlement. So in my mind, I'm thinking what greater damage in this than to lose a loved one. (sighs) And Jackie, again, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. You know, in the efforts that you just described, um, making real what the human costs are, right, by connecting data with personally told stories where we understand information in an empathetic way. Like, that's obviously exactly the work you're doing. So I just want to thank you for having joined us. Thanks again, Jackie Lewis, mother, grandmother, and advocate for kinship caregivers. Thanks for having been with us. Thank you. 
and we'll be joined by a couple of new voices. With us from North Carolina is Megan Dolbin McNabb. She's a professor of human development and family science at Virginia Tech. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Also with us is Melissa Lilly. She's the director of Healthy Grand Families. That's a training program based in West Virginia that supports grandparents when they become caregivers the second time around. Melissa, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And Bobby London. She's the director of Family Support at South Shore Stars, which is a nonprofit based in Massachusetts that provides affordable child care to working families. And she also runs a grandparent support group. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. We've heard a couple of really intimate and generously shared private stories. Can we kind of pull the lens back a little bit for some context informationally about how often this happens, where and how? Uh, Megan, I'll start with you. In the U.S., how prevalent are family units where a grandparent is the primary caregiver? Sure. So you mentioned at the top of the show, there are about two and a half million grandparents who are raising grandchildren. And this reflects about one in 10 children in the United States who are living in a home with a grandparent. And of those one in 10 children, approximately two and a half million are being raised solely by their grandparents in a home with no parent present. So there are a lot of kids out there who are being raised by their grandparents, um, just by their grandparents without additional support from parents um, in the home. And do we know to what extent the opioid crisis is contributing to that number? Absolutely. That's a great question. So just a little historical context Grandfamilies have long been impacted by substance use disorder, and it's always been a common reason why grandparents raise their grandchildren. So it began with the crack cocaine epidemic, um, methamphetamine, and now we're seeing the impact of the opioid epidemic. And so it's always been a reason, but the devastating impacts of opioids are making it, I think, more problematic due to overdose deaths, um, the very addictive qualities of opioids. And so statistics are a little bit hard to find because many grandparents are raising their grandchildren informally, as Jennifer mentioned, so outside of the child welfare system. But what we're seeing is uh, research that shows from the CDC and the census that states with higher opioid prescribing rates have higher percentages of grandparents raising grandchildren. There are increasing numbers of children in foster care with relatives and the reason given is substance use disorder. And then program leaders who work with grand families typically say in terms of some research that's been done by a group called Generations United that nearly all of the participant families have some experience with substance use and the vast majority of those it's specific to opioids, heroin, and synthetic opioids like fentanyl. So it, it is definitely, it's been an issue for a very long time, but the opioids has really, have really like escalated, I think, the number of grandparents who are being put into the role of raising their grandchildren. And we have an email from one of our listeners named Margaret who writes, I am three years sober. I have young kids who I willingly gave custody to grandparents a few years ago. Opioids cause so many to lose their children compared to other drugs because of the process of getting sober. It took a few months for my husband and I to get the kids back, and we will never go back to that cycle of having to use in order to care for the kids or getting sick so you cannot function. I will be forever grateful to my in-laws. Can you, Megan, 
talk, like just at a high level, some of the challenges that a grandparent might face that listeners might not expect. Like, I think we can imagine the fact, hey, raising young kids takes a ton of energy. I bet that's harder when you're older. What are some of the challenges that we might not be able to uh, imagine? Sure. And and I think that raising a grandchildren impacts basically every aspect of a grandparent's life. So there are the obvious ones that you mentioned around parenting. But what I would say is that these grandparents are parenting grandchildren who often have histories of trauma. And and that can manifest in a variety of behavioral difficulties uh, that make parenting maybe more difficult than children who don't have that history of trauma. Additionally, if a child is born with prenatal exposure to substances, they may have physical or developmental issues they require a higher level of care. So mm. parenting is there, and that's very obvious, but there may, it may be more challenging in certain ways for grandparents due to their grandchildren's histories. Um, but there are a variety of challenges. So uh, Jennifer referenced some of the challenges that come up with legal I'm getting legal custody. It's helpful mm-hmm. to have for getting services, but it, it raises a whole host of issues often within the family about not wanting to get into a court battle with your child, for instance. So those are there. The financial challenges are very well documented among grandparents who raise their grandchildren, the difficulty they have providing. Um, there's also physical and mental health challenges. The research suggests that grandparents who raise their grandchildren have higher rates of of depression uh, than the general population. They may have physical limitations as well. And there is some evidence that grandparents will forego preventive medical care. They'll forego their prescription medications for financial reasons. So there, there's wide-ranging impacts there. Challenges with housing, finding homes that they can afford that can fit everyone in their family, um, affording nutritious food. Um, there's some recent data that suggests that a quarter of grand families experience food insecurity. Um, and then I think the social impacts, you know, wanting to be retired and do the things that yeah. your retired friends are doing when you're parenting. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is, you know, the, the thing that maybe most people wouldn't see is the dynamics within the family change a lot. You know, you have these relationships that have to be sort of reordered, if you will, around who does what in the family and how people get along. There may be other grandchildren that are impacted. And so there's just a lot. And, it, and there are many, many challenges that grandparents experience and need support with. And I'd like to turn to you now, Melissa. Melissa Lilly is the director of Healthy Grand Families. And I know that you work in West Virginia, one of the states that has been hardest hit by the opioid epidemic. In 2021, the state reported the highest rate of deadly drug overdoses in the entire country at 90.9 deaths per 100,000 people, according to the CDC, which is like way way above the national average. And it also has one of the highest rates of grandparents raising grandchildren in the country. Can you tell me, Melissa, in the families that you serve, how many grandfamilies are the product of substance use disorder? So 80% of the grand uh, families enrolled in our program are a direct result of substance abuse or substance use disorder. And um, so that's, you know, pretty high number. And it's gone up to 80, it was 80%. It's been 80% consistently since we started the program in 2015, but since 2021, it's risen to about 85%. So, um, you know, eight and a half out of every 10 families that enroll in the program is a direct result of substance use disorder. And 
when we think about uh, those challenges that those those new familial relationships that are being asked to really bear the burden of childcare. One of the questions I think that's come to mind to several listeners has to do with the way that American families are very often structured in the first place. It's like a member of our 1A text club writes, it's very common in Eastern cultures for grandparents to help raise grandkids. They have an important role in their upbringing, especially with their family background, education, and religious beliefs. Most importantly, they get to see how their parents interact with their parents. Like we have a multi-generational home fundamentally, right? That's more of the default structure. And I'm wondering, Megan, is the American family sort of like uniquely vulnerable to this break in the generational chain because the entirety of child-rearing responsibilities falls on just two sets of shoulders? Well, I think that's a big question. Um, And so I think that there are a lot of reasons that we are seeing uh, child care responsibilities fall to the shoulders of grandparents. And so some of it, I think, is larger systemic issues around living wages, affordable housing, affordable child care, things that are creating stress on families that make it difficult for families to to get by, if you will. And so I think, I think there is that. I think we see greater geographic mobility uh, of, of people moving away from grandparents. So you may lose that support system. There's so much cultural variation in the U.S. as well around the involvement of grandparents. And so I think there are a lot of factors that explain that. But I think that in many ways, families are very vulnerable. Um, and, and in these cases, you know, that's where grandparents become really important support networks. Um, but yeah, that, there, there's, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot around the impacts on families right now mm. and the ways that they're, they're, they're really stressed. We'll be back with more of our conversation on grand families in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. Every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. By the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. Donate today at cancer.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. Let's get back to the conversation. Megan, I'd like to ask a little bit about the kinds of people who find themselves in these arrangements. Can you tell us about 
the typical demographic a, a grand family might represent, if there is one? Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, grandparents raising their grandchildren really cut across you know, all demographics. But there are some some individuals who are more likely to be raising their grandchildren than uh, others. And so uh, among black African-American, American Indian, and Alaskan Native children are much more likely to live in grand families. Uh, the census data tells us that custodial grandparents are more likely to be female, single, under the age of 60, and have uh, lower education levels. Um, Almost 20% of these families are living below the poverty level. So again, while you can find grand families across demographics, there are some who are more overrepresented, overrepresented, excuse me, and many of these populations may be at risk for uh, marginalization and other negative outcomes. And I know that resources like monetary support that some foster or adoptive parents are eligible for are often not available in like the more informal kinship arrangements that many grand families had. You know, we we heard earlier in the hour from Jennifer, a granddaughter being raised whose parents were afraid to seek legal custody because if they didn't get it, they were they weren't sure where she might end up. Can you tell me how this lack of governmental resources affects grand families and their lives? Yeah, so I think that uh, grand families need a lot of resources, and one of the main resources that many grand families talk about needing the most are financial resources. And there are resources that grand families can access, but sometimes there are very real barriers that make it difficult for them to access those resources. So one example that you mentioned is foster care maintenance payments. So those are payments that grandparents can receive if they are raising their grandchildren, but that requires them to become licensed as a foster parent and go through all of the processes that go along with that in terms of a home study and other types of things. And so for some grandparents, that that is something they may not want to do for fear of uh, losing the grandchild themselves, perhaps. Um, perhaps they're experiencing other barriers. They don't want to create conflict with the parent. Um, and so there are efforts being made to make it easier for grandparents to become foster parents, but that is definitely an area where there is work to do. Another area um, in terms of financial support that is being looked at is tax credits. Also, whether or not we can help grandparents more easily access TANF or temporary assistance to needy families. And so, and so, so what is are, TANF? Do, can are, you describe us? Like, like if I were a family, if I were a grandparent raising families, and I just heard that word, TANF, roll by, what is that? How do I get sure. access to it? What do I do? Well, there are, there are eligibility requirements that are based on income. And so it would be a program where there could be some financial assistance provided in support of raising the child. They have what is called a child-only uh, payment option for, for grandparents raising grandchildren that they could access. And it, it doesn't provide a lot of financial support, but it is a monthly payment. But you do have to meet eligibility requirements and apply. And, and that can be that can be difficult too in terms of of navigating those processes and procedures. And so so a lot of grandparents need assistance with that. And I'm sure uh, our other guests can really speak to what they see in their work around some of the challenges grandparents experience accessing services. Mm -hmm. uh, Melissa, I'd love to go to you and your work in West Virginia. Can you tell us how the training program at Healthy Grand Families helps bridge 
some of these missing pieces in the social network? Absolutely. So um, our program, the Healthy Grand Families at Western State University, it's an extension program that collaborates with our Department of Social Work at West Virginia State. And so because we are extension, first and foremost, it's education. So we have a training and research component, which is a module that's uh, we have 12 modules in a curriculum that we um, you know, have run county by county. So it's easy for families to access. And we have relevant topics that help grandparents provide the education. But then beyond the education program, we have direct services where our social work department, so these are fourth-year social work students or master-level social work students, they um, go into the families and they provide a needs assessment, see what each specific family, what that need is, and then we place social workers with the families to help meet those needs and link them to all the resources that are available in the community. And so uh, sometimes it's child care, sometimes it's um, count family counseling, Sometimes it's uh, extra assistance with school, particularly, you know, during the pandemic when a lot of schools were going remote and you had grandparents who weren't um, comfortable with the technology. So it really is we um, try to train them on these topics, these 12 topics, but then provide the social work piece and link them to community resources for additional uh, assistance, whatever that family may need. And it's going to vary on a family by family basis. Mm-hmm. Bobby, I'd like to ask you a quick question about what are the resources, even if they're not fiscal, that you have found most helpful with the families that you serve? You know what I mean? Like when you see those grandparents come in to either lean on one another, I know that you said they're very often, their night together constitutes like their social night out. What is actually helping? We've heard a lot of stories about how hard this is, what works. I would say, first and foremost, it's helping folks with their basic needs that people have already mentioned. And they're, you know, the, the benefit of the kinship groups is really this peer support level, having a safe place to share, vent, seek help and resources in an empathic community. You know, I've walked the walk. I'm not just talking the talk. Uh, Folks feel less isolated and alone. There's no judgment. Anybody's story is everybody's story. Uh, The similarities are heartbreakingly the same. And the fact that you can, I just feel like one of the most valuable things is that you can sit in a group and look to the left of you and see someone that is where you used to be when you first got your grandchild and look to the right of you and see someone that's been on the journey longer and has some wisdom for you about tips and, uh, you know, what, what resources they've already used that they've found. Megan, one last question for you. Can you tell us what would be the biggest, most meaningful intervention that could ameliorate the situation? What kind of policy, if you could implement one today, would make a change? Well, I think... 
One is certainly uh, around treatment to su- for substance use disorder, and not just treatment, but prevention, early intervention, approaches that attend to the fact that many individuals who have substance use disorder have families, and they don't want to be separated from them. And so I think that would be the top level one that I would give. And I think for grand families, it's helping them get the services and the support that they need to raise their children when they do need to step in. So those would be my policy suggestions. Thank you. We just heard from Megan Dolben McNabb. She's a professor of human development and family science at Virginia Tech. Also with us today has been Melissa Lilly, the director of Healthy Grand Families, and Bobby London, the director of family support at South Shore Stars. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'd like to go out today on a message that we received from our 1A text club who wrote, I am a grandparent who is raising a grandchild. When I started my journey 15 years ago, there was nothing, no help at all, no support groups, no mental health, no mental health or financial help. It has been the most stressful and the hardest thing I have done in my life. The toll it takes on entire families, but especially the children. It is my hope that the federal government will at the very least provide financial support, the same support that foster parents receive. It is the very least that they can do for these grandparents. And one more. I am raising my granddaughter. She's not yet verbal and has autism. I love her very much. I am joyous to be a part of her life. I'm sure that many grandparents struggle financially while raising their grandchildren, and in that I am no different. Perhaps the most difficult part of this experience is the social isolation. In all sincerity, I hope that those of you listening out there who are tackling that part of this particular challenge find each other, and I wish we wish you here the absolute best. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Dessa, in for Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from PBS. PBS invites you on a trip to the future. A Brief History of the Future is a groundbreaking series about people's futures and how they can be reimagined. A Brief History of the Future. Stream now on PBS and the PBS app. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash SparkCashPlus. Terms and conditions apply. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.